Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning, Creekside, and welcome to you joining us online. I'm Chuck Patrick, and I have the honor of serving the body here at Creekside with Pastor Tony out. I also get the honor of filling the pulpit and preaching the Word. So if you would, grab your Bibles, your smart devices, your Bible study outlines. Also, you can find us on the Silverdale app as well. Locate our text, Mark chapter 12, as we continue in the Follow Me series through the book of Mark. Well, today, we're going to look at the timeless and beautiful story of the widow's might and the circumstances around that story. So, if you would join me in the text. And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. And his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses." And for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Then he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into it. Many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow, she put in two coins, which amount to a cent. And Jesus then called his disciples. He says, look at this. This poor widow put in more than all the others. For they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Father, speak to our hearts the truth of your word, God. May our minds and hearts be receptive to your challenge, your conviction, your instruction for us to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a typical American family driving home from church one Sunday, dad's fussing about the length of the service, and he says, what, what is the deal with those preachers and all their props? I mean, they think they're Mr. Rogers or what? The wife's fussing about the misbehaving kids, the loud drums. And who do they think they are? Led Zeppelin? You know, dad says, well, they ain't no Led Zeppelin. Teenage daughter, she goes, well, the music's okay, but that campus pastor's pretty weird. What is that with all the shouting, man? Is he for real or what? Finally, little nine-year-old Billy goes, well, dad, you know, all in all, you got to admit, it's a pretty good show for a dollar. Ooh, is it a show? Is our faith, what we do, not just here, but in front of our neighbors, where we, who do people go to school with, people we work with, is it a show? Jesus says, I didn't die for you to put on a show. I died for you to live through me. Today he teaches us what living faith is about. So I want to give you a little background and setting for this story that we all know so well. So according to Mark and Luke, both gospel writers record and conclude Jesus' public ministry with this very same story. And what follows after the story is some private time with his disciples leading up to the Last Supper and the cross. 
And then uh, a surprise visit by another devoted female follower you'll see next week. So now with that in mind, Jesus here is offering this final challenge in the temple. Look at this next verse. As he taught in the temple, the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. Now this gives us two important things about this setting. Number one, where he taught the temple. I'll say something about that in a moment. But what did he teach? Well, right a few verses before our text passage, Jesus was asked by a scribe, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Well, the Jews had 613 commandments in the Torah. And he wanted to know, just give me the greatest. Well, Jesus then says, let me explain it, simplify it for you. He says, you see this verse, verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Then Jesus says, I'll add a second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look what he says. He says, there is no greater commandment than these. All those commandments summed up. And I want you to see what Jesus was doing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You catch that? He's foreshadowing the cross. So the cross is greater. The Bible says Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So he came with the cross and fulfilled the law. So now that's the setting, what he just said. So now we see this finally divinely recorded text here that Jesus is teaching in the temple. Now I want you to see the verse that follows this. Chapter 13, verse 1, as he was going out of the temple. Now, why is that important? Well, I want you to help me here on this. I'm going to say a phrase, you complete it. Elvis has left the building. Very good. Very good, class. So, iconic phrase in our culture. Well, Jesus has left the building. So, now why is that significant? Well, for a thousand years, the temple had stood as the center of worship for God's people. Now, Jesus, God in the flesh, was making his farewell remarks and leaving the heart of worship for the Jewish nation to literally, you know, get this, in a few days become the heart of worship for all mankind as he hung on the cross. And when he was on the cross, as we'll see at Easter, Jesus breathed his last, said it is finished. And it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, Luke record a very curious but profound verse when Jesus breathes his last. Look at Mark's version. He says this, then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what's that saying? Well, this physical and also symbolic barrier between God and man had stood for centuries, but because the blood atonement of Jesus was forever wiped out, it was as if God the Father was saying to you and to me, come on in. So now with that setting here, Jesus offers this farewell challenge in the temple. So first thing he does, he condemns dead religion. You can jot that down in your outline. He condemns dead religion. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around long robes. They like respectful greetings. They like chief seats in the synagogue, places of honor at banquets. And they devour widows' houses that for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. That's bad. When Jesus says condemnation, that's bad. So when he says this, remember, he just concluded that fundamental teaching of the essence of the gospel and also some words about his deity. Then he's, he comes with a stinging condemnation of the scribes, the Jewish teachers of the law, the elite in their society. Now, being God, Jesus knew that that would fan the flames of their hatred toward him leading to the cross. But guys, he did anyway. Why did he do it? 
Guys, he did it for us. Jesus did not want us to just exist in life, go through the motions. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, died for us, suffered, and rose three days later. So, not that we could exist, but that we could live because he knew people around us, a lost, hurting world, would be looking at Jesus' followers. And the Apostle Paul says it like this, well, before, you, before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now, wait a minute. How can a dead person walk? Well, of course, all right? The walking dead, as we all know that, and people that, you ever watch that TV series, they stole it from the Apostle Paul, the first author of The Walking Dead. And so, can, can anybody do the zombie no. We can all do a zombie, of course. We all laugh at that, the zombie stuff. The point is, that's about the effect we would have on a lost person if our faith is lifeless. Okay? People are looking for genuine authenticity, something they can hang on to in this crazy world. They're looking at you and me. I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, I want to walk alive. How about you? So if we're going to walk alive before others, we need to heed Jesus' warning about lifeless religion. He gives us three signs here. Jot the first one down, legalism. Human effort to earn God's favor. Human effort to earn God's favor. Jesus says they walk around in long robes and offer long prayers. The longer the better. The long robes, the long prayers were for appearance's sake. See? See, we're trying to please God here. Now many of us know legalism as that set of rules or do's and don'ts of proper Christian behavior. You know, we should all be proper Christians, right? That's how we're going to win the world to Christ, being proper. Now, some of you may remember like me, our rules were don't smoke or chew or go out with girls who do. And so we probably missed a few dates. That's okay. Now, I love how the famous British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, describes legalism. He says this, I found in my own life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. Ooh. Moody Radio tells a story of a northern pastor who during a winter snowstorm found the roads were blocked. He could not drive to church, but it just so happened he lived near a creek that always froze over several weeks. So he grabbed his skates and he literally skated with his Bible and stuff in his backpack. And the church was only about 500 yards from where the creek went. So he comes in church, the deacons see him, they go, Preacher, we can't believe you would skate on the Lord's Day. Sound familiar? Well, they said, we'll talk about this after, after the service. After the service, the pastor says, Guys, listen, it's either I skated to church or else you had no preacher. So one of the deacons goes, Preacher, I want to know one thing. Did you enjoy it? He goes, Well, of course not. That wasn't the purpose of it. And all the deacons said, That's okay, we'll let you go. And so if we enjoy something, it's got to be sin, right? And if we don't enjoy it, God's pleased. Think about that, guys, with the world around us, people you work with, you go to school with, do they see this legalism in you, this set of rules to earn God's favor? We can't. Only grace can save us. So now you see Jesus has explained the gospel so well, loving, him, loving God with all your heart and soul, loving others. Basically, he was saying, you do this, the rest will take care of itself. So now Jesus gives us a second sign here, pride, unreasonable and excessive self-centeredness. He says about them, he says, they like respectful greetings, chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Guys, why do we project our own standard of spirituality onto others? You know, and I'm guilty myself. 
Here's the thing. I think the reason we do that is we who are Jesus followers, we get involved in church. Maybe we give pretty regularly. And also we think, you know, I've arrived at a certain level. I need to tell others to get up here to this level here. Guys, honestly, it's because of a supersized, overinflated spiritual ego, man. God, forgive us of that. So he has another sign, hypocrisy. Legalism, pride, hypocrisy. See what that is? Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe. This is how he describes it. These scribes, they devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. How can prayers and devouring widows be in the same breath? Because in the middle of that verse, circle that in your outline, for appearances' sake. Guys, do we put on a mask before others? Do we show our Christianity just so others can see that we're doing good things? Uh, Who are we looking for approval from? Do we worship, or excuse me, do we serve so that others can pass on the back or for an audience of one, for the applause of nail-scarred hands? Here's the thing. These scribes, they knew all the 613 commandments, yet they openly defied this one right here. Look at this one. You shall not mistreat widows or a fatherless child. So here, Jesus has warned us, avoid at all costs these signs of lifeless religion. Pride, legalism, hypocrisy. If you see any of those, repent. Get out of your life. And then Jesus says, listen, people are watching you. I want you to have living faith. I'm going to give you a better way. As Jesus now, he commends living faith. You jot that down. Jesus commends living faith. We read, he began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And a poor widow put in two small copper coins And calling his disciples to him, he said, this poor widow put in more than all. Wow, how could that be? Well, I got a little replica here of a mite. I've got on the screen because there's no way you can really see this from up here. But this is a replica of the mite here. Two of those together could buy in Israeli times that day about a half of a meager meal. And the mite comes from the King James Version. That's where we get the word mite from. And you notice also, she had two of these. Think about this. You ever thought she could have kept one? She didn't, did she? She gave both. So after chastising the phony religious establishment, Jesus now sees this red carpet procession of big givers. And then he notices something makes his heart applaud. And he tells his disciples and us who call ourselves disciples, I want you to recognize this. I want you to understand this fundamental principle of our faith that living faith is giving faith jot that down living faith is giving faith now i need you to help me out here you got your billfold you got a purse uh your phone if you have venmo or you you do your credit card on there hold it up all right i need exercise here wait that thing at me we're going to talk to it All right, I want you to look at it and say, relax, it's not about you. Relax, it's not about you. There you go. So, didn't take your million data. Now, while this passage can certainly be used as a teaching passage for biblical stewardship, I believe the broader context, what Jesus is emphasizing here, is the extent to which a person would go to follow him. 
You follow me? That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see out of this. And what he had just said earlier, the great commandment, that's what he says, I want you to learn. Follow me with all your heart. That great commandment only confirmed what he had spoken months earlier at the great sermon on the mount when he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So now we see the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. So now to sum up his final teaching in the temple, Jesus has explained the beautiful simplicity of the gospel with the cross and then his strong condemnation of the lifeless religious phonies. Well, now, listen to this. He sees something here. He finds the divinely appointed perfect example of his teaching. When this poor widow passes by, you know, even though Jesus was sitting down, I believe inside he was on his feet <laughs> clapping. Get this. Her heart of devotion spoke to his heart, brought his heart joy, a heart that in just a few days would be crushed and burdened with our sin on the cross. Her simple sacrifice pointed to his sacrifice. She gave her entire livelihood. He gave his very life. Now, so with that context, Jesus chooses to immortalize forever in the pages of holy inspired scripture, this humble widow who truly demonstrate her living faith. Now, I want us to see two points out of this before we finish here. First is God sees. Jot that down. God sees. Now, that sounds simplistic, right? Don't miss this. It's incredibly supernatural. We read, he began observing. He began observing. So, the creator of the universe chooses to notice a poor widow. Now, that poor widow had three strikes against her. One, she was a woman and that society, kind of second rate. Two, she was a widow, lost her husband. Three, she's living in poverty. Let me ask you this. What is your poor widow status? Is it, maybe it's a bad medical report. Maybe it's finances. You know, maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you are a parent, period. Maybe you just can't break the chains of that addiction. Maybe you've got a physical condition. Listen, maybe it's a broken home and... I said it before and I'll say it again because it gives glory to God. There's no way I should be here working for a church, preaching the word of God with the way I grew up, never knowing my father. My mother's an alcoholic. I was called white trash. No way I should be here. But you know what? God saw me. He saw me. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Do you know that God sees you, your situation, where it is? And do you know there's a name for the God who sees? It's El Roy. Look at that. El Roy, the God who sees. It comes from a beautiful story in Genesis where Hagar, an Egyptian maid for Father Abraham and Sarah, was asked to become pregnant because they didn't truly believe God would give them that promised son. She gets pregnant, then Sarah gets jealous, runs her off. So here's this poor, pregnant, single mom out in the desert, out in the wilderness, in a desperate situation all alone. Remember, she's an Egyptian, not one of God's chosen people. Yet God comes to her. Look how Genesis describes this. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. That's beautiful. You know, she's the only person in all of scripture who ever named God. I like to think when she named him, God goes, I like that. I'm putting it in my book. The God who sees your situation, no matter what it is. He sees you no matter how desperate. Now, God doesn't see like humans do. Samuel uh, explains this to it. He says, humans don't see what the Lord sees. Humans see what is visible, but God, the Lord, sees the heart. The heart. At the great commandment, he said, love me with all your what? 
heart. And then I love how the chronicler describes God seeing us. He says this, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong. You need God to show himself strong in your life, your situation. He shows himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. When Jesus saw that poor widow, you think he saw her mites? No, I think he saw her heart. I love how those Scottish preacher, George MacDonald from the 19th century, describes God seeing us. He says this, he says, when we feel as if God is nowhere, he is watching over us with an eternal consciousness that is beyond and above our every hope and fear. Listen, 7.8 billion people on this planet, yet God sees each one. And I know that poor widow, she lost her husband, living in poverty. And I know in our world today, there's heartache, pain, despair. But yet, as the Word of God teaches us, as Pastor Tony said recently, guys, we're not home yet. That's why Jesus saw this poor widow and eternally honors her because she demonstrated true living faith. Her faith was not in her personal agenda or her possessions. It was in a living God. So now jump to the second thing. God sees, but also blesses. God blesses. God blesses. Our text says, he said to him, this poor widow put in more than all, all she had to live on. Now, first look, that might seem to be a sad ending to this story, right? Or was it the end? Perhaps she was like the poor widow that 900 years earlier that God sent Elijah to. Elijah comes to this poor widow and she tells him, listen, right reverend preacher, sir, all I have is a little flour and some oil. I'm going to make a meal and my son and I are going to die. So Elijah, out of his heart of compassion, says, well, you feed me first. Yes, 1 Kings 17, and he didn't even have a worldwide TV ministry. So out of living faith, she feeds him first. Then what happens? She ends up with an endless food supply. Later, when her son dies, Elijah raises her son from the dead. You tell me God does not bless those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. That blessing is there. God sees you. He wants to bless you. Listen, never put a period where God puts a comma. So according to what uh, the Holy Spirit has directed Mark to record, it's a pair of the end of Jesus' public ministry story. So Jesus chooses to lift up this precious widow and memorialize her as an example for us in living faith. Remember, living faith is giving faith. Agnes Bonchichu felt called to ministry as a teenager. Well, she did her ministerial training in Ireland and India. One day she went to her superiors with a God-ordained passion. She said, hey, listen, I've got three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Well, they told her, well, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. You can't do much of anything with three pennies. Agnes smiled and said, well, I know, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. So Agnes served faithfully for over 50 years in the slums of Calcutta, India with the poor and dying. In 1979, the woman we know as Mother Teresa received the most prestigious award in our world, the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Long way from three pennies, two mites, the Nobel Peace Prize. Not with the blessing of God, though. Ask the little boy. I see your little son right there. Ask the little boy that loaves and fish. The Bible said Jesus blessed him. What do you do? He fed thousands. The blessing of God. Hallelujah, church. You've got to realize that. God sees us. He wants to bless us. Now, I love how the old 20th century preacher, J. Vernon McGee, some of y'all remember him, 
the way he describes the blessing of God. This is one of my favorites. He goes, he took those two mites and he just kissed them into the coin and the gold of heaven, made them more valuable than anything. Wow. The blessing of God. Let him kiss your surrender. So what is your might? What is it? Is it, maybe it is money. Maybe you are holding back. Maybe you think you don't have anything to give him. Maybe it is your family, your career, right? your dream, your time, your talent, and your treasure. All it's summed up in is your heart. God wants to take that and bless that. Look at this formula here. Your might plus God's blessing equals your might. God wants to do miraculous beyond anything we can ask or think, Ephesians says, in your life if you will surrender yourself to him. A few weeks ago, we were exiting out these doors, and I was standing here, and a young couple comes up to me, and the young lady, uh, actually it's uh, her boyfriend, and comes up and sticks her hand in my face and gives me the finger, of course, the ring finger. So I said, oh, congratulations, that's awesome. Yeah, we're so excited, she said, and listen, we'd love to ask you to do our, our wedding. I said, wow, I'm, I'm honored, I'm, I'm flattered, thank you. You know, she says, well, Chuck, who else would there be? You're responsible for this. And I said, what? See, I hadn't introduced them at all. She said, well, Chuck, you found me a few years ago in a desperate situation. You pointed me to Jesus. She pointed over here, and you baptized me right here. And I said, well, you know, it wasn't me. She says, well, I know, but you know, God threw you. Wow. She just preached the sermon. God threw you. Church, say God threw you. God threw you. And make a person will say God threw me. God threw me. Yes, that's it. Do we, are we ready to surrender what we have for him, for his glory. Well, it was battered and scarred. The auctioneer felt it was hardly worth its while to waste much time on this old violin, but he held it up with a smile. It sure ain't much, it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it too. Who's got a bid for this old violin? Just one more, we'll be through. He goes, one, give me one dollar. Who'll make it two? Two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars twice, that's a good price. Who's got a bid for me? Well, the air was hot and people stood around as if some were sad and old. Then from the back of the crowd, an old white-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. He wiped the dust off the old violin, tightened up the string. Then he played out a melody, pure and sweet, sweet as angels would sing. Then the music stopped. And the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low, he says, what's my bid on this old violin? As he held it up with the bow. And he cried, one, give me 1,000, who'll make it two? 2,000, who'll make it three? 3,000 twice, that's a good price. Who's got a bid for me? The people cried out. What made the change? We still understand. The auctioneer paused. He said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. Now, many a man or woman with their life out of tune, battered and scarred by sin, auctioned cheap to a faithless world, much like that old violin. But then the master comes. The foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul or the change that is brought just by the touch of the master's hand. Guys, in this story, that poor widow had nothing. Jesus says, yes, you do. you got my blessing on you. Church, you want his blessing. Let him kiss your surrender. Let him bless it, anoint it to do phenomenal things for the kingdom of God. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. 
We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.